Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will reflect on this week's Senate impeachment trial of former President Trump, along with a look at what we have been hearing from President Biden and the White House with respect to the reopening of schools, diversity in the military, and our nation's relationship with China. So joining me today, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, great to be with you as always. Happy Friday and looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, Dan, great to be back with you. I hope uh, you're well and um, looking forward to uh, a long weekend. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. So I know there's a few things we want to hit on this week. Perhaps we can begin with the story that's been grabbing the most attention, making the most headlines. And I'm speaking about the Senate impeachment trial of former President Trump. I know that's still underway. President Trump's defense team, I believe, is currently speaking. And there's a lot to unpack with this story, though. What have been some of the notable highlights and takeaways, Shane, you can share with us? And what do you believe that the end result will ultimately be? Yeah, no, the trial has been, um, I think, uh, the full attention of Washington, D.C. Um, you know, there's all these other things going on, obviously, but uh, anyone you talk to, it's they're probably uh, focused on the trial and, and its ups and downs and all around. You know, so the uh, House impeachment manager has really kicked off um, this week um, with an emotional uh, videotape of the riots. And you saw throughout their um, argument of why uh, former President Trump should be impeached, they really used the kind of emotional plea uh, to senators and played to their emotions about, you know, uh, while January 6th was terrible and tragic, it could have been a lot worse. You know, um, the rioters were just yards away at times from senators, the vice president, uh, members of the House, and, and it could have been even more tragic than it was. Um, they released new video footage that really got the attention of lawmakers. And some of the footage, you know, that we saw multiple times on TV, you know, some senators didn't even see that. So you saw this um, emotion play out a little bit. And you even saw, you know, there was a kind of a test vote um earlier this week to talk about the constitutionality of still having this proceeding, even though President Trump is no longer uh, president. And um, all Democrats voted that uh, this proceeding is constitutional. Six Republicans joined them. Now, this is noteworthy because one senator, Republican Senator uh, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, he previously was on the other side of this uh, vote um, because it was the second time they actually held this vote. And you saw him, you know, speaking afterwards about this, and you could see some of the, you know, emotion in him about uh, the events on January 6th. But also, you know, there was this feeling that the House uh, impeachment managers arguing for to uh, convict former President Trump on that first day really outperformed President uh, Trump's uh, team. Uh, and I think, you know, overall, the consensus is that the impeachment managers uh, throughout their uh, um, uh, case did an incredible job. And today is really the, the day for President Trump's uh, team to go ahead and argue their case. As you mentioned, they just started uh, just over a half hour ago. 
you know, they have about 16 hours at their disposal, but uh, indications are they're only going to spend, you know, um, you know, three or four hours uh, arguing their case. They, they want to keep it uh, plain and simple and uh, kind of move on because at the end of the day, um, it would take some 17 Republican senators to switch uh, to join the Democrats to convict President Trump. You know, right now, I think uh, we're all thinking you'll probably get about a half dozen Republicans who vote to convict, but it's going to be a hard press to get beyond that. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, I think um, definitely by the time you and I speak again, um, President Trump will have been acquitted if for some reason, you know, um, the, the defense team, you know, falls flat on his face and, and um, he, the President Trump, former President Trump is convicted. There'll be a second vote to then bar him from ever holding federal office again. Uh, but again, I don't think that's the likely outcome here. So we're almost done with this and moving on to, you know, uh, getting back with the people's business. Uh, but, uh, you know, this will obviously have reverberations, um, you know, not only for years to come, but, you know, throughout our history of America. It has been a very interesting week and emotional in some cases for some, and we'll see how this plays out within a couple of days, if not sooner. Though, to your point, some of the footage never before seen that was shown during the trial here, it it was quite shocking to see. But thank you for the recap, Shane. I know that was a lot to unpack. So I want to switch gears a bit, talk about how President Biden, and I know this is a big point of interest for many, he this week revealed the details of a 100-day reopening plan for the nation's schools, which in some cases has been met with some mixed reception. So, Shane, what exactly does the plan call for? What has the reception consisted of? Yeah, not only is the reception mixed, but the uh, plan itself is kind of um, not fully clear at the moment. And I think, you know, maybe today we'll get some additional clarity on it. You know, uh, President Biden has called for this 100-day plan to reopen schools, and, you know, what does that mean? You know, at some point you saw um, his team saying, well, it meant uh, it means students go back one day a week. But then uh, saying, well, no, 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 schools will be open all five days a week. It's just kind of a rotation of when students go in. So I think this plan is fluid. You know, uh, the 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 tough part is you're seeing a lot of state and localities work with the teachers unions because a lot of teachers are kind of still unsure about going back right now, you know, and, and a lot of teachers want to make sure they're all vaccinated before they go back. So you're seeing uh, a stronger effort by, by the Biden administration and state governments to ensure that um, teachers are moved up the priority list um, to get the vaccine. And therefore they are more comfortable getting back in the classroom. Um, So I think the CDC is kind of the next step here where we're, waiting for the CDC to, to release new guidelines about how, uh, what the best practice is for these um, schools to reopen. Additionally, the reconciliation bill that is currently moving uh, through Congress, um, which you may know as the, the stimulus bill, it currently contains, I think, about $130 billion to help uh, schools reopen 
um, because a lot of schools will need to make modifications, you know, to their air filtration system, to, you know, um, classrooms that are going to be smaller. And when I say smaller, I don't mean physically. I mean, you know, fewer students in the room. So how do you address that when, you know, you're still going to have, let's say, 100 kids? How do you break them up? Right. Uh, so it, it, this is still evolving, even though we have um, the Biden administration trying to, you know, uh, assure everyone that in 100 day, within 100 days now, I think uh, the schools will be fully reopened. I think there's some fluidity here that will continue to play out. And um, I know as a father myself and many of you are uh, probably excited to get kids back in the classroom as uh, a lot of us are concerned about, you know, what the long-term impact is on our children who are home versus uh, being social and, and learning in person. Now, exactly. Very good point. And as you outlined for us, Shane, quite a lot of moving parts here to figure out. And I'm sure many of us will look forward to hearing more details on this in the coming weeks. So thank you for bringing us up to speed on where we currently stand with that, Shane. Now, I understand that President Biden also spoke on the phone this week with Chinese President Xi Jinping. I believe this was his first interaction uh, with him as president. So any indications as to what was covered during this call, which I believe lasted for some two hours? Yes, no, great question. And um, yes, the indication is that it lasts for two hours. So obviously in two hours, there are a number of topics addressed. Um, you know, we we haven't gotten full readouts um, from the Biden administration, you know, kind of a top line of the topics that were brought up, you know, from uh, unfair economic practices. Human rights was a big one that President Biden uh, apparently uh, discussed, you know, what's going on with Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, you know, uh, trade practices were obviously a big one, um, you know. I think at the end of the day, you know, while this was President Biden's first uh, conversation with Xi Jinping um, as president, it's not their first time ever meeting. You know, when he was Vice President Biden, he met many times with President uh, Xi. Um, so this is a relationship that did exist uh, previously. And now it's where is it going from there? You know, I think what President Biden is signaling that He's going to have try and have a more open line of communication with uh, China and President Xi, but he's still going to try and uh, push China uh, for better practices on all those topics of you know trade, uh, economic policies, uh, human rights, etc. And um, you know, so I think there may be uh, this may be a better relationship than with President Trump on the surface, but. At the heart, all these underlying issues still remain. So I think, you know, um, this is kind of the opening salvo. I think you're going to see over the coming weeks and months, uh, President Biden really reach out to European allies and other allies in the Asian region about how, you know, um, uh, they can work together to put more pressure on China, because that would be more impactful, I think, in President Biden's mind is, you know, if you really want to put pressure on China to, to uh, straighten up and act right, it's got to be done on a much larger level than just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So, uh, you know, 
I think we'll see more. We'll absolutely see more to come here. Um, but this was a very interesting uh, start to the new uh, uh, relationship between the U.S. and China. Definitely to be a fly on the wall during that conversation. But it sounds like a lot to come in the coming weeks, not only with China, but our other allies as well, uh, with the president engaging directly with them. Though, Shane, thank you for some highlights for what was a very, I'm sure, interesting conversation between these two presidents. Maybe one final point before we wrap up for this week. I know last week we spoke about how President Biden paid a visit to the State Department. I know this week he visited the Pentagon and delivered some remarks about diversity in the armed forces. So what were some highlights from the president's visit? Yeah, no, I believe uh, President Biden uh, went on Wednesday and he was joined, I believe, by Vice President Harris. Um, and, you know, they they met with uh, Secretary Austin and, and the Joint Chiefs. And then they, you know, had this larger uh, speech that Biden gave where he definitely touched on diversity, um, you know, and, and the military um, as he noted, is special to his heart, you know, for a variety of reasons, but also keep in mind that his uh, son, Bo, who is now passed, uh, served um, as a captain in the Delaware National Guard, and he actually served on the staff of uh, Defense Secretary Austin. So, you know, and Austin has noted that. So, you know, I think, you know, President Biden paid homage to everyone's service, um, but also he did focus on the contribution of black service members and noted that I think more than 40 percent of our active duty forces are those of uh, color. Uh, so, he, you know, he, he he's building on what we talked about, I think, in our conversation uh, last week or the week before that um, there is a concern about extremists in um, our armed services. And, you know, just Navy officials recently uh, had a few incidences where there was a noose and hate speech graffiti were found aboard ships. So, you know, this is um, starting to uh, snowball into something larger, I think, that needs to be addressed in the armed forces. Um, And, you know, President Biden's speech, you know, really puts this at center stage. But, you know, the speech also... Uh, went beyond um, diversity in our armed forces, you know, and he used this to to piggyback uh, on the uh, what we were just talking about, China. You know, um, he announced that the Department of Defense would review its China strategy um, and examine such uh, areas as the U.S. military footprint in the uh, region, intelligence, uh, technology, and in, in U.S. alliances. So. Um, you know, the, the speech wasn't narrowly focused on one issue. The, obviously, uh, diversity was kind of a focal point, uh, but there are a lot of things going on here, as, you know, I think President Biden sees that we're faced with numerous challenges, not only at home, but across the globe. So um, this was um, an interesting one, and, and I think, you know, you'll see uh, as, as the days and weeks go by, you know, uh, as you were mentioning last week, it was the State Department and this week, uh, Department of Defense. You know, as the days and weeks go by, President Biden will continue to, to reach out to different sectors of, of um, the economy and, and his government to start uh, laying out more of his vision and, and what he wants to emphasize uh, over his uh, four years as president. Uh, 
unless he has a second term, which would be eight years, obviously. Time will tell, but it sounds like it was a very productive session at the Pentagon. And to your point, we'll monitor closely some of these other visits and engagements that might present themselves as the weeks progress. Though, Shane, as always, thank you for your time and insight. Appreciate your reflections on what was yet another busy week on many fronts within the Beltway. So looking forward to continuing our conversation next week. Though in the meantime, I wish you an enjoyable and relaxing President's Day weekend. Great. Thank you, Dan. You too. And and um, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Shane. Talk soon. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly Publication directly. The Washington Weekly Podcast is part of the UBS In The Now Podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.